The conditions that we treat in the NICU is very large. The range is huge. It could be anything from apnea to complex birth defects, meningitis, metabolic diseases, necrotizing intracolitis, neonatal abstinence syndrome, pulmonary hypertension, sepsis, spina bifida, transient tachypnea, twin to twin transfusion, uh, meconium aspiration, jaundice. The range on what we care for is so large. We work with a lot of different diagnoses and it's very complex, a lot of these things that we do. Hey guys. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, and podcaster. And sitting across from me is my very salty co-host. And I am Sam. I am a flight nurse, college professor, podcaster, powerlifter, and co-host of The Selfie Show. And today we are talking off the clock about NICU nursing. Yeah, we're getting into it today. (laughs) Our our home sweet home. Yeah. We both got our roots in NICU. Mm-hmm. Tori's still living the NICU dream. I am. And I, recently, I've had a lot of questions. I've been posting a little bit more. And then I did a live with Alexis Nicole and had a lot of questions. And I was like, you know what? We should really do an updated NICU episode. I haven't done one since we launched and the podcast. Things change fast. Yeah. So we're going to get into it today. Excited. All right. What's your tip of the week, girl? Okay. So my tip this week is another Netflix recommendation. You guys know I love Netflix. Okay. So this one is called Seven Yards. It is about, his name is Chris Norton, and he's actually a quadriplegic. He had a severe injury from a football accident um, when he was, I want to say he was a freshman in college. And it's called The Seven Longest Yards, and it's basically his journey through walking his first or his steps down the aisle to his fiance and how he, yes, it's this crazy determination. It's this amazing male perspective on recovery and support. And honestly, the thing that I thought was so remarkable about remarkable about it is not only his journey and you learn about his family and their perspective of what it was like to watch their son go through this but what I thought was so cool was his friends that were in college that all basically banded around him to help him through this time in his life and this was even prior to his meeting his fiance so these guys they're all football athletes super macho men and they basically became his caretakers through the time after his accident to help him I mean and they're I mean and I'm talking these are guys that you know they had to literally do full care for him because he could he literally physically can't do anything for himself so he was wanting to go back to college and so his friends would help him get dressed in the morning they would all take turns and shifts in trying to care for him and it was just such a cool story to watch not only him go through this his fiance and his family but these guys who really took it on themselves as friends which I thought was so cool that is real friends like you don't see yes like that those are the things that separate the fake friends from the real friends yeah it was it's just a really moving documentary I know he was also on the Ed Milet show if you guys want to listen to that podcast that's actually where I heard about it was Jacob listened to that episode um, with Chris Norton on Ed Milet's show so if you guys are interested definitely if you're looking for a good watch definitely highly recommend that so you're my like Netflix (laughs) go-to because I like never watch anything and then you recommend it I'm like ooh, oh it's good you'll love it okay so what's your tip of the week miss samantha okay so i am historically bad at self-care obviously we are all aware of this and i'm not a big bath girl Mm. i've just ain't nobody got time for that it's just like not my thing i decided last weekend to take a bath Mm. it was the best decision of my life oh literally like okay epsom salt I had like bath bombs. You know how you just kind of get a collection of them because people keep getting Yeah, they gift gifts. them to you and then and it goes at the back of your like drawer and yes. you never think about it again. Yeah. So I have some. So I was like, all right, let's fucking do this. <laughs> so I Are was we like, talking candles too? Yes. Like what are we? Okay. Okay. So I lit two different candles. I mean, they're the same scent, but I lit two different candles for like ambiance. Love. Um, I actually filled my cup with water. You know, I, I recommend doing it with wine, but I'm trying to, like, give my body nourishing things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to feed it water because I never you. get any of that. <laughs> so I sat there in the bath for, like, 30 minutes. The Epsom salt actually is legit. 
I'm like in a really heavy lifting cycle right now as I'm getting ready for my next competition. So my body is just like taking a beating. The Epsom salt helped. Oh, nice. I've never went to bed so relaxed and I actually slept really good too. Wait, what brand did you use? Do we know? Literally just Epsom salt. Okay. Like you go to Target, it just says Epsom salt. Okay, done. On the bag. But I think I got some, like it was eucalyptus scented because I just Mm. like that scent. It felt very spa-like. Fabulous. Um, Yeah. Do it. Okay. I don't know. All right. You're. I'm not a big bath girl, yeah. so it's like I. Neither I was, am I. Yeah. I kind of like heh, at it, but I'm gonna try to do that once a week because my body just never slows down like that. Yeah, actually, I feel like recovery for a lot of athletes, mm-hmm. like either spot, like going either extreme colds and then relaxing at night with warm, like a bath, like that's a big thing. You and Jacob are all like into the cold plunge mm-hmm. thing. I know. We still I we want to get one. We want to put one out on our on our the guest room oh, thing. We want to get the cold plunge. I've done cryotherapy and I actually love cryotherapy. I think I like that more because it's not wet. Yes, and it's fast. Yeah. It's like, okay, ooh, by the time you're like, F this, it hurts, it's painful, it's like done. Yeah. And then you're out and you're yeah. not wet. That's the hard part for yeah, me. Yeah, it's the drying off after mm-hmm. a cold plunge where you're like, and then you're chilled to the bone. Yes, it's gnarly. But it's good for you. And I think I've even read that just taking cold showers really quick just to kind of shock in your In the body. morning. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing is the cold in the morning to shock, kind of like we were saying, to shock you and wake you up. And then at night, warm to, to calm you down. The warm bath helps me sleep good. Mm-hmm. And you know working day shift and night shift right now my sleep is a disaster so that was great so that's my new if you're not a bath person give it a try mm-hmm. epsom salt i highly recommend especially if you're sore at all but yeah i i'm pro bath now i love it fabulous unpopular opinion okay you guys we're getting into this week because we've we've talked a lot about this one and we both very much agree on this particular topic so this week we're getting into the idea of Uncanceling cancel culture? Can we please go there? Wait, uncanceling. Yeah. Cancel. No, you want to cancel cancel culture. Cancel cancel culture. Yeah. Or how do you wait? Is that a thing? Uncancel cancel culture. No, uncancel means bringing something here. back. Uncancel. You want to cancel cancel. You want to get rid of cancel culture. Yes. You want to cancel cancel culture. Okay, so we're getting into it. We're canceling cancel culture. <laughs> Yes. What do you think is the line for what should be canceled? Okay, yeah. So there's a lot of things that I think the bottom line is Sam and I feel very strongly against the majority of cancel culture. We've got we've talked about a couple topics. A couple things that I do think are very cancelable would be violence against animals, uh, against children, children against um, obvious obvious racism, sexual assault. Yeah. Like male obviously. or female, yes. Like those are but any sort of criminal acts, that's cancelable. But when you start digging into the idea of canceling someone for a comment that they made on Twitter ten years ago or a video they made on YouTube five ten years ago, I, I just people are now digging, and that to me is really annoying. So annoying. I I just don't believe in that. I think that I actually happen to come from the idea of. Why don't we sit back and allow people to make the change and see if they've made the change? I really firmly believe in that. I agree. So I think that I know I can sometimes come off as like this flaming liberal. And I am in some ways. (laughs) I'm not in other ways. Like I'm all for the death penalty, low key. Maybe that's another unpopular opinion a different day. Oh, okay. But um, spicy. I know. I just, I, I got opinions. So with cancel culture though, I don't want anyone to judge me based on the person I was 10 years ago because I am not the same person I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I've grown up. I've matured. I am so different. I mean, I think that's why even in my nursing career, I've matured so much because I am not the same person I was 10 years ago. I've been a nurse for 10 years. So I admit all the time I made a lot of mistakes in the NICU. I fucked up. I created some self-fulfilling prophecy like issues for myself. <laughs> it is what it is, but I am not that same person. I am not the same person I was 10 years ago. So why should I hold other people to that if I don't want to be held being responsible for the person I was 10 years ago? I've grown. I'm 
difference. 100%. And I think there's a lot of, I mean, that's everyone, right? I would never want someone to judge me for something that I said five or 10 years ago. And I think that's kind of where we're, a lot of people are digging things up as far as more recent things. Even when someone pops off with comments or, you know, there's been a lot of canceling of YouTubers, of Instagram, of, of social media, and it's getting to a place where people are so scared to say things, right? And, you know, for the fear of backlash. And it's one of those things where I just feel that, you know, we all need to take the time to learn from one another. And if someone missteps, absolutely, like that, that would qualify for them to have, like, look inward. Why did you say that? Why did you do it? Why was it wrong? But I just think that canceling someone for something, I think it's much more valuable to watch how they learn from it. I think that's much more valuable to see how they change. What are they doing? Are they being much more active in whatever it may be and in correcting whatever action that they did? Um, I just, it's annoying to me and it is hard when you're, I do understand the sense of obligation as people in the presence, when you're in the public eye, to say things appropriately, to really think about what you're saying, to be mindful of the fact that what you're saying can go both ways. And that's kind of the hard part nowadays is because Sam and I are living our lives from our perspective. And so trying to be someone who's saying something, you're trying to be cognizant of of the group, of the mass, right? When Especially when you have a, a public, public, bleh platform. But it's just hard. You can't, first of all, you can't please everybody. No, and I don't. And, you know, I think as far as I don't have to agree with everybody. I Sam and I have talked about this many times. We don't agree on everything, but I'm not going to cancel you for something that you don't believe in. Yeah. I love you. And we can have opposing beliefs on things, but it just gets to a dangerous place when we start canceling people for every single little thing. It's just annoying to me. Well, and did you learn from it or not too? People aren't perfect. Right. And I think it's one, what is it rooted in? Like, did you mean obvious, like, disrespect? What was your, like, intention? Right. So I think it's not so black and white. But I think people have gotten a little yeah. out of hand with it, especially from the past. If they're a different person than they were, good. You should be happy. Like, wow, you used to kind of suck. <laughs> good job that yeah. you've, like, grown up, that right. you've learned, that you've, bettered yourself so NICU nurse I know are you ready all right I guess we're getting into it you guys I'm excited about this episode all right let's go here we go so let's actually kind of just really quick talk about your nursing journey just give them the cliff notes of how you even got into the NICU all that yeah so um, many of you guys already know this but brief cliff notes I did this on my first or second episode of, of the podcast but so I many of you know this, it took me forever to get into nursing school. It actually took me three and a half times to get into nursing school. I did not have an easy journey. So if you are someone that's struggling through that, trust me, I totally feel you as far as when I went to University of Arizona, bear down, oh boy. <laughs> bear down. Um, I graduated in 2012 and it took me a solid eight months to land my job. I did, I want to say like a total of maybe seven or eight interviews. Long story short, landed my job at the same hospital that Sam did. We worked at a level four children's hospital, level four NICU. And I did a 22-week residency. I worked there full-time for three and a half years, nights. With me. We had literally the best crew ever. It was just such a fun, like those to me are like our heydays. Oh, man. The I glory days. I Those love are them. the glory days. Them. Never want to work night shift again. No. Even though it, I kind of am stuck doing it right now, but those were the good Those were days. such good days. We loved it. We had an amazing crew. And then um, I just hit a point where it was time to leave. A series of things happened. And I just was like, you know, I think I need to go stretch my legs and try something new. So I started travel nursing locally in the LA and Orange County areas. I travel nursed for about two years going to university hospitals, children's hospitals, community-based, level two, level three, level four NICUs. And then um, I ended up back at our home hospital a couple years later, and I have been working per diem at two NICUs since. So um, that's sort of a brief of how I started as far as the social media goes I started doing about I don't know it's probably about 
three, four years into when I started doing travel nurses, when I started doing it, I started doing a little bit of Instagram here and there posting about um, the NICU and then just kind of realized all of these questions were popping up from people over and over and over. So I developed the blog, which is my the tips from Tori, which originally it's it actually started as a lifestyle blog. And then morphed into more, I would say, nurse life. And then I had approached Sam um, when we were back at the hospital together to do a collab company, which many of you know was Nurses <laughs> AF. Which now we have branched out into our vaccinated AF line. Yeah. So we hold on to that little AF we do. tagline yeah. for other stuff because... We just thought we were so funny. We were, and we were ahead of the curve on we that. Were, we were, and we're going to ride that AF till the wheels fall off. 100%. So go get your vaccinated AF hats get and them now while they're still hot. Yes. yes. Love it. Love that for us. Love that for us. Um, and then a couple years later, it morphed into this podcast and I brought Sam on and we are now, this is our baby and... Um, You're kind of like obsessed with me. Kind of. Like you were like, start this like. You're the salty to my sweet. And then I was like, okay. And then you started this podcast and I was like, yes, bitch, get it. (laughs) And then after like six months in the podcast, you're like, hey. You know why? I feel like I'm just like, why are you like so obsessed? No, because. I'm just kidding. I think it was this. I think it was because you were my biggest cheerleader, to be honest. Like you were. I was so proud of. I am still, obviously, but now I'm part of it. But I yeah. was like so proud of you. Like, damn, this is like some quality shit when yeah. you started this podcast. No, I think it was you and you know I, there was a couple other people, but obviously, but like you have the this like ser- serious sense of like I don't know. You always knew you could see what I was doing, and you I knew you knew what it was. It was bigger than what it was bigger than me. All the things I ever it's not about me. A selfie podcast show isn't about me. It's about a bigger thing. And I think you saw that and I know you saw that. And that's where you and I, like as sister wives now, I just think that we have that same vision. So that's kind of where a lot of this stemmed from. Um and then I've been, you know, killing it yeah it's just it's been a gnarly crazy ride and been working as NICU and I I did do also I'll back up a little bit I did do a brief stint in pediatric critical critical care float pool I can talk and the reason for that is and many of you know this I was in nurse practitioner school so originally I would say probably was it 2017-18 I had hit a very big burnout in my personal career and I was just like so over it. I just needed a change of pace. I was like, what do I, I want something bigger. I want to hit people in a new way. I want to provide education and resources and be able to speak to things on a new level, blah, blah, blah. So I started NP school. I was in a family nurse practitioner um, program thinking I wanted to go into like women's health or something of that sort. Long story short, fast forward a year in and I just realized it was not for me. It was just like I hit this wall. Sam knows the day. I literally had a mental breakdown. Called me out of nowhere. Yes. And I was literally like having a freak out panic attack. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is just, it's not me. I I just realized this was not my thing. And mind you, simultaneously, this is when the podcast started picking up. And I just realized, I think in that moment, that my heart was really so much geared towards creating this platform where I could do all of the things that I I didn't realize that I was actually creating the platform of the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to create a place for resources and education and bring people on and inspiration and have, you know, these, I wanted to be able to speak to things on a new level with all these people. And that's where this platform really kind of stemmed. And so Sam was there when I decided to stop that journey. I did restart NP school. <laughs> I was like, it's just, it just, it just wasn't for me. Stop it. Um, and cheers to everyone who it is for you. I'm very glad we have a lot of nurse practitioners and PAs out there and the whole thing, but it just wasn't for me. Um, and so that's when I ba- basically decided, you know, at that time, I was doing critical care pediatric float pool to see some other pop- patient populations. And to be honest, it was one of the best things I ever did for my career. I started working PICU, CVICU, oncology. I worked actually with your sister. I yeah. think your sister was on a shift of mine. Um, you know, it's just I was able to really broaden my view of not only patient populations, but 
sort of the scope of the organization, really see the flow of things, get to meet people, network. A lot of the guests that I have had on have been because I met them when I was in critical care flow pool, which was so much fun. Um, And, you know, that has extended even to a bigger network. So it's just one of those things where everything happens for a reason. I love the experience and I think it made me a better nurse, that particular experience. Do you think that seeing other things other than the NICU makes you specifically a better NICU nurse. 100%. You know, and I think when, so many of, I had this, have this question a lot and you guys all obviously have gathered this. I started in the NICU. I didn't work in another unit prior. And so I think having, going back and really testing myself with other patient populations was beyond mind-blowing, especially when you're eight years into your career doing one specialty. It's just crazy. I mean, you know this, Sam. We talked about this on your episode last week, like seeing different vital signs, doing all these things, different treatments, different diagnosis. Um, it's a completely different, it's a mind shift when you're when you're talking NICU, going, in, going out of the NICU into any other unit, really. I think it kind of sharpens your assessment skills a little bit. Yeah. To have a more well-rounded yes. background. Yeah. I, th- I think so. And I think it gives you a lot more, I don't know, and I, a lot of skills that I learned in PICU that yeah. I had no idea, you know, even <laughs> just as simple as we don't, in the NICU, for many of you who listen, I've never worked in a NICU and maybe some NICUs do around the country, but um, we don't do secondary IV medications. And just recently we were working in the NICU and we had to do a secondary for, I don't know what it was, it was for something and no one knew how to do it. And guess what? I did. Queen. Queen. You know, it's just things. It sounds silly, but it, it's definitely things like that. So you started in a level four NICU, but I think one of the coolest things about your NICU experience is that you've traveled and worked in so many different NICUs that you've experienced different level NICUs. So can you, one, explain the difference between all the levels and then give us a little insight about working in different levels? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a big, huge aspect because one of the big questions they're posing being, what do you do in a NICU? And my biggest answer to that is, well, it depends on what NICU are you working in. So level one, just so many of you guys know, level one NICU being nursery level all the way up to level four being your consult centers, your university hospitals, um, where they have in-house surgeons, they run ECMO, they do body cooling, they do all the most, um, the highest level of life-saving support you can do are your level four NICUs. Um, And having, it's interesting because I started in a level four NICU and this is where, you know, you're doing all the surgeries, pre-ops, post-ops, you have your micro preemies, you're doing body cooling, you're doing um, all of these crazy life-saving procedures. And then I actually went to a level two NICU And it's interesting because I've kind of heard a little bit of it where, well, I would never want to work in a level two NICU because there's not as much going on. And it's interesting because I have such mad respect for the level two nurseries out there because oftentimes those, to give you perspective of that kind of care, it's typically the babies who need some respiratory support, some antibiotics, um, for whatever reason, they're having some feeding difficulties, hyperbilly. Um, you know, it could kind of range in, in that kind of scope. But oftentimes you get the mom who walks through the door who's a 24-weeker who, you know, has a bulging bag and you're delivering a 24-week baby in a level two NICU and you have limited resources, limited uh, respiratory therapists who know how to intubate, limited, you may have a pediatrician and not even have a neonatologist with you who does not know how to intubate. And so what I'm getting at is the level two NICUs actually taught me so much about my, I had to lean on myself. There was no one else to lean on. I had to be the one to start, you know, get the umbilical kit. You had to be the one to be able to start everything. Um, You had to support that respiratory therapist who didn't know how to do X, Y, or Z. Um, Starting IVs, like you don't have in level four NICUs, sometimes you have a vascular access team. You have a lot of really skilled nurses in a level two NICU. It's you. So you're the one doing all that. And if you can't get it, well, guess what? You're going to try again. You're going to get it. So it's just interesting because the dynamics from from um, unit to unit are truly so different. Um, I would say that I really do love the level four NICU experience, but there's something to be said for the level two and level three NICUs. And level three NICUs, there's a lot going on too. They do PDA ligations. 
um, a lot of micro preemie care as well, body cooling, you know, they do a lot as well. So it's just kind of interesting to see the dynamics between the, the, the level of NICU. So I think the difference between like a level two and three, right, is like on two, if they are intubated, they can only be intubated for, for a certain hours. amount of time before they need mm-hmm. to be sent to a level three. Correct. So yeah, I think it's like a four hour limit yeah. before they have to go. And then a level three NICU is basically everything but ECMO, ECMO and certain surgical correct procedures right so can they do body cooling in level threes I yes. think so yeah mm-hmm. so yeah yeah because I worked at a level three NICU per diem and the level four NICU with you yeah and there's even and some... the level threes can be some gnarly oh, stuff yeah. still they're only sending out the really really yeah the cardiac uh, anomalies and you know the sur- surgical surgical thing I mean the level threes are definitely and they're busy you know because a lot of those are your your delivery centers where they're just delivering baby after baby after baby so yeah, and typically a lot of those big centers will have a level three. I do have to say that's a good point about the level twos that you make because as a transport nurse, I'm the one picking up all those babies at the level twos to bring them back to mm-hmm. our level four NICU. And they, like you said, have some insane deliveries yes. and some super ki- sick kids that they are stabilizing until we can get there and transfer them out. And so, yeah, hats off to them. So, yeah, because and that's another thing, um, you know, hot tip. I always tell moms, I'm like, if you're traveling or you don't, if you're going somewhere and you're pregnant, just always be aware of where you're where you are going and what hospitals are locally. And the reason I'm saying that is because oftentimes those level two NICUs, I mean, I've worked in one where mom walks in and preterm labor and she's delivering there. And, you know, a lot of times you don't really think about it when you're traveling, but you could be in another city mm-hmm. and deliver there. And that's happened many a time. But it's, it is interesting to um, to work somewhere where you don't have as many resources. I think it just makes you a better nurse overall. Totally. Really. Yeah. So let's get into the nitty gritty of the NICU. What types of conditions, diagnoses do you see in the NICU? Yeah. So the conditions that we treat in the NICU, I mean, it's very large. The range is huge. It could be anything from apnea to complex birth defects, meningitis, metabolic diseases, necrotizing intercolitis, um, neonatal abstinence syndrome from uh, mothers of drug addicted mothers or babies of drug addicted mothers, uh, pulmonary hypertension, uh, sepsis, spina bifida, transient tachypnea, twin to twin transfusion, uh, meconium aspiration, jaundice. Uh, it just the the range on what we care for is so large. And I think that's the thing that I think when people think NICU, and maybe that's a myth I'd want to bust, is we don't just work with preemies. Mm-hmm. We work with a lot of different diagnosis. And it's it's very complex, a lot of these things that we do. I don't think people can even realize that they can have a healthy pregnancy all the way to term and then just something goes wrong during the delivery that causes an unexpected NICU stay. 100%. Uh, traumatic birth. That is a huge thing. I mean, every NICU nurse, that's like our number one bread and butter, the traumatic birth as far as, you know, we body cooling and the shoulder, things, dystocia. shoulder dystocia. Yes. I mean, and people don't realize there's a reason why NICU nurses literally hate the vacuum. Mm. We do not, we are not a vacuum fan for many reasons. I don't want to go into the details of that, but you know, we just, there is, there's a lot of complex things that can happen at birth and that's why we're there. There's kind of something for everyone. You like neuro, you like surgical, cardiac. Yeah. You like preemies, you like GI. Yeah. Surgery, pre-oping, post-oping, high risk deliveries. If you want to get your adrenaline rush. I mean, bedside surgeries. Yeah. Even bedside. So what is your favorite type of patient or like condition to treat? Um, If you got to walk in and choose your assignment, what would Tori choose? Okay, so (laughs) Sam's going to laugh. She knows this. Okay, so we used to be, Sam and I used to be small baby nurses. Mm -hmm. We were coined. We were the the small baby experts. That's what I... I lived and died by my micro preemies. So for those of you listening, that those would be the babies that are 28 weeks or less, a thousand grams or less. And we loved to grow those crazy humans. Like, I love them. Those were our favorite. Um, it was definitely, I would say, I learned a lot from Sam. Sam was like my mentor slash preceptor for a lot. Of, I mean, you were there for me for so many things. Now, I would say, oddly, I really love just pre-op, post-op care. I love pre-op and post-op. Like it's just, it's just, I really love the minute by minute things that you're doing. 
Um, I also really do love the role. I'm, I'm working now more as labor and delivery resource nurse, which I really love because it's starting, it gives me a little break away from the bedside, which I know Sam and I have talked a lot about that. Not every shift, which is kind of nice because I do think if I did it every shift, I would be a little worn out as well. But I really do like circulating on the unit. So for those of you who don't know, some NICUs do this where they will offer up one or two nurses on the unit who can circulate through the unit and attend high-risk deliveries. They can help admit the patients. They can do pre-op and post-op care, help help new nurses on the unit with whatever may be going off the procedure that they are unfamiliar with, grabbing supplies, admitting a critical admission, um, getting parents prepared for X, Y, and Z. So you're just sort of the resource nurse and it's very busy role. It's very heavy role because everyone is really leaning on you, especially when you work in a unit that is on the younger side of their experience. I really love that role. Um, It's a lot of running. It's a lot of, you get your steps in for sure. You're doing a lot of sprints to the DR when, you know, you have a, a, a delivery and typically the level four NICUs, which I think is a little different too, then the level two or three NICUs is the nurses who are attending the high risk deliveries typically are the more experienced nurses. So those are the nurses that have been there for a couple of years. They have, you know, some experience under their belt and they're attending those high risk deliveries. Um, I'd say more in the level two, level three, sometimes you don't have that luxury. And so nurses will actually go to deliveries much sooner and start getting their experience there even sooner, which I think is an interesting dynamic too. Um, but as far as things, I love pre-op and post-op. That's And I, I do love the L&D role too. That's been my thing. So what is your least favorite? Like what assignment do you want to avoid? Um, I used to say trachs. But I think on, you know, it's funny. I think just a cranky baby. It doesn't matter because I kind of, I don't mind doing an ostomy change. Like I can do that. Um, You know, a trach change, you know, I'm at the point now where, you know, I feel somewhat comfortable. I don't know if you feel super comfortable with that, but, um, you know, I think I just, cranky babies are tough. And you know what I'm talking about. Any NICU nurse who's listening to this right now, you know, certain personalities out there of babies, you're like, oh my God, no, Mm-mm, that screechy, that screechy cry. Or even maybe it's like a GDM baby. Oh God, those oh, are yeah. the worst. Those are the babies of, uh, it's, um, infants of diabetic mothers, infants of diabetic mothers. Those are honestly sometimes the worst because they're withdrawing from sugar. They have no more sugar. So essentially what happens is these babies are born to moms have um, an excess of sugar and then they are cut off from the sugar essentially. And these babies just go absolutely crazy. They are shrieking their heads off. They are starving all the time. But then I start a diet. <laughs> <laughs> but then they don't want to eat well. They never eat well. It's just so frustrating. I would rather have an intubated, sedated, overly complex, crazy, we're doing labs, we're doing procedures than have to do that. I am true I see you <laughs> to the core. Like I when I worked in NICU, I low key would kind of like throw a little tantrum if I didn't get an intubated Facts. sick kid on drips. Yeah. I want you on a vent, sedated, on vasopressors, and I want to be like. I think I'm a mix now. I think I used to feel that way. And then now I think if I had that every single shift, it does. It, it, that's a very real moment, too, is like ICU, right? ICU burnout. I think if I had had that now, eight years in, I think I I like having variety, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I was the same way. I'm like, I want, I want the sickest patient. I want all this, but I kind of like a little variety in my. Speaking of variety, what type of like duties does a NICU nurse do? Because I think most people don't even know what the NICU is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In nursing school, you don't learn about NICU. It's not talked about. It's not anything. Most people have no idea what goes on behind those NICU walls. It's beyond anything I think that anyone really thinks. So as far as the direct patient care, you know, we're doing assessments and the direct patient care management. You're helping with diagnostics, your chest x-rays, your echoes, your MRIs. You're assisting with central line placements. Not only that, with your procedures, intubations, extubations, bronchoscopies, um, PIC line placements, UACs, UVCs, you're starting IVs, you're uh, drawing your labs. Sometimes when you're drawing those labs, they're off central lines like UACs, maybe even a pick, just depending on what how big the pick is and what your hospital policy is. 
you're managing all the central lines, you're doing sterile line changes, you're placing NGs and OG tubes, you're preparing infants for surgery, post-op care from surgery, you're managing trachs and ostomies and chest tubes. Keep in mind that a lot of this you guys could be for level four NICUs, but oftentimes you're doing this in level threes as well. You're administering your IV medications, your oral, um, IM, you're collaborating with your whole team. And let me tell you, that is half of the battle is really trying to communicate with your teams going between whether it's the doctor, the nurse practitioner, the PA, the respiratory therapist, your social work, you know, you're, you are basically the middleman. You're the host of the party. That's the way, the way I like to say it. it's like you are hosting the party of this shift and you are the person that every single person is coming to. You're feeding babies, you're bathing them, you are supporting with breastfeeding and pumping. And I will say this nationwide, there is a huge push for moms to be breastfeeding. So that's like number one. I know a lot of NICU nurses, we tend to get a little irritated by that, to be honest, because sometimes it's really frustrating. But there is a huge push for breastfeeding as well as pumping nationwide. Um, you know, and there's also a really, really big push for patient family centered care, which I do. I'm a big believer in that because having parents or the caretakers or the foster parents, whoever it may be at the bedside and like really involved in the care is huge. We're supporting the parents and the caregivers. We're notifying teams of different things. We're participating in research. We're also precepting new nurses. Um, it's just a lot. I mean, we do a lot as NICU nurses. So you did touch on family-centered care, and I think it's one of the things even my nursing students ask me all the time is, well, how do you like deal with the family? Go into that a little bit. The dynamic is, well, I think the thing is, is when you say deal with the family, I That's think a negative connotation. It's a very huh? negative connotation. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't either. I personally go in open-minded to every single situation, and even when we're giving report like nurse to nurse, oftentimes you'll hear the negative connotations come through. Well, well, this mom was that way or that dad is that way. And I really honestly try to put that away because I want to meet every person where they're at, right? And you never know what that person is going through. And we just brought on a guest who she was a postpartum psychosis survivor. And I just think in my head, like if this was I, I always like to put myself in the parents' shoes. Like, if this was me, how would I want someone to respond to this question? When I'm working with parents, I really do my best to try and be honest, but also really supportive. Um, and honestly, I over-educate. So I'm, you know, explaining to them what's going on. Initially, in the beginning, you're doing a lot of education on just the things you're doing. After that, a lot of our parents are with us for up to for months, weeks, months, sometimes a year. And so they already know probably more than half of the, they know a lot mm -hmm. by the time they're there. And so you just develop this rapport. Most parents, I would say, you do really well. Every now and then you get a complete asshole, just being frank. Like Twice. you'll just get, yep. And there are times I have had it where I have been fired from a patient because that we didn't I get along with the dad or the mom or whatever. And typically it's the dad. But <laughs> yeah. anytime I've been fired, I'm like, sweet. Yeah. Feelings mutual. Yeah. That's usually how it is. Um, you know, and that's just a fact of life. Like not everyone's going to mesh with every single person. But I really do my best, especially with the mom, because if the it, when mom has had just delivered and is going through this crazy traumatic time, you just have to be especially sensitive to that and that's I think a little unique to our to our unit is that these parents first of all the moms are going through this and they're going through this huge hormone change right and you're not talking to the baby you're talking to the parents so that's a big dynamic that I think getting used to is like you're actually not even speaking much you, you can't talk to your baby of course I love talking to my baby but you're talking to the parents and you're, not only that you're talking to a mom who's gone through all these hormone changes who's gone through this huge dramatic crazy time um, where most likely she's somewhere where she didn't expect so you just kind of have to roll with the punches and that's just something I think as a NICU nurse is just really good to take on is like don't take anything personally um mind you yes there are some just a-hole parents out there but typically most parents will level with you once they really understand something they just really want to know what's what's going on why are you doing this why are you doing that why did that change and it's our job to educate them and I think that's something that we we do get really, we can get frustrated by it. I mean, just, just point blank. That's how it can, we can get frustrated by that. But 
we need to remember that they're not the medical provider we are. I actually love the bond that Me I have too. with some of the families. Like I'm planning lunch with two of my ex NICU moms whose kids are seven. I know it's crazy. We have we and that's another thing too is just the bond that you do make in the NICU. I think is very unique because forever. it's forever because you're caring for this little tiny human in the most vulnerable point in their life and also their parents' life. Like you are there, you are truly driving the care there. And it's really meaningful for these families. It's very unique. I think maybe the secondary, the only other unit that may have that kind of true bond is maybe oncology where mm-hmm. they have their their families that they see over and over. Um, but for us, I mean, they're with us for a very long time in a really vulnerable state. So I think one of the other things that people get hesitant about, I'm not sure if I could do NICU because is death and dying Mm -hmm. and how do you handle death and dying as a NICU nurse um so the first thing being I actually think which is really interesting is some NICU nurses go through their whole career and never ever have that experience they never actually care for a post you know a post-mortem they never have a baby who they're withdrawing from care or elective electively withdrawing um so that that's the first thing this as far as like how you handle it I think it's, it's kind of multifaceted. I think first things first is really, I found a lot of, of really solid um, support from the people around me on my unit. So typically it's the people who are going through it with you, your fellow nurses, your RTs, even your doctors. I, we've had, we, I have worked with teams that have been amazing where you do a post, uh, what's it called? The debrief. Debrief. See, this is we've debriefed together. Yeah, Tori and I have been in a lot of debriefs. We've been in a lot of debriefs where you talk it through. You know whether we felt like we could have done better, what or how we did well, how we worked as a team together. Um, I have cried with parents before. I know that's not an it's an unpopular opinion, but I have. Um, because I just you know that's human. That's human. And when you put in so much time and love into this, I have one baby in mind that I'm like, I'm going to tear up thinking about it. But, you know, you just you put so much love into what you're doing or hard work. And sometimes you don't even realize it's love. Like, you know, you're just doing you're going, you're going, you're going, you're doing all these things. You're maxing out every single, you know, brain cell you have and, um, you know, leaning on people around you. And I will say this, too. Not every person that you go home to is going to understand like I don't know if Jacob will ever understand what I've done and to be honest I don't put that on him I don't and I think that's big of you because if someone hasn't experienced it I think it's unfair for us to expect them to understand what we've seen and what we've experienced yes yeah, you know, and I think one of my best things that I used to love was when we go to brunch the next day mm-hmm. and, you know, you have like a little debrief with your friends over some mimosas. Like, you know, it's you find the people that I think re- can relate and can understand. Um, not every hospital, I will say, is as supportive in that way and not every situation. I mean, there's times where, you know, a baby is admitted to a unit and you don't even have time to think about what you're doing, much less bond with a parent, much less bond with a baby. Like it's so critical that you just, you don't even have that time and you've lost the baby before it even starts. So there's so many different kinds of situations. You know, you have those, you have situations where it's, you know, a baby who you've had for months and months and months and you're withdrawing care. You have situations where, um, things just happen very quickly. A baby develops neck and the next thing you know, you're trying to do emergent surgery and they the baby doesn't make it. And so there's just a lot of different kinds of situations. And I think just it really does kind of ha- come on. Uh, I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but you have to be self-aware enough to know what you need mm-hmm. to maintain your your bedside or like to maintain your own energy when you're doing that. And I'm, you guys know, I'm really big on energy, like catching energy in healthcare is a huge thing. And when you have that, you, you really do have to find a way to work through it. Um, for me, that's people around me. I think for a lot of providers, it's like, or sick humor, dark humor. We have a lot, a lot of us have our dark humor. You know, but survival. we do as a survival coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And I even think what you said about crying, 
it's a slippery slope to maintaining your professionalism. And I think it's okay to be human and show emotion and actually show these parents, hey, I really did care. This wasn't just another shift for me. Like I've taken care of your baby for this long. I know them. I cared about them. I just think it crosses that slippery slope or maybe the line of professionalism if you're more emotional than the parents or something like you need to read the room and you need to gauge things. I think it's okay to cry with the parent, be emotional. I've hugged parents. I've shed some tears with parents, but I think, you know, it is a slippery slope. And if you've, if you've breaking down to the point where you can't finish your shift and you can't hold it together and you're more upset than the parents, it's like, that's where the slope gets slippery. But I think being a human is what makes you a good nurse. Yeah, I agree. I think that that you're right. It, it, I think it's the emotional intelligence just to know. And I've my I have had tears roll and mm-hmm. I've hugged and I've I've had some really great conversations. You know, and there are situations too where I've had babies where parents don't want to be there when the baby passes. Mm-hmm. So you're the one had holding that, that baby. That, or you're the stick one. That with me forever. Yep. I have, yep. And that's very real as well. You know, some parents just cannot cannot have that as their vision of their child, the last vision being of their child. And that's fair. That way. I think, too, we just have to also be mindful of not judging parents for how they deal with grief mm-hmm. and end of life and judging other nurses and each other. We're all going to handle it differently. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So NICU nursing is quite the hot little unit that people want to get into these days. So what type of advice do you have for new grads wanting to get into the NICU? Can you start as a new grad in the NICU? (laughs) The number one question that we always get. Yes, you can. Uh, We'll we'll repeat that in the back for everyone in the back. Yes, 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 yes. You can start in the NICU. Does everyone start in the NICU? No. Um, but you absolutely can. My number one thing is look far and wide. Start doing your research early while you are still in nursing school. So um, whether it's, it depends on where you live. That's a big piece of it, right? But typically you want to look for university hospitals. You want to look for your children's hospitals. You want to look for somewhere where they offer a residency program, a Versant program, where they hire new grad nurses. Look far and wide. I moved for my first job and I've talked about that a lot. Like I, it was worth it for me to move to a new place and I absolutely loved it. And so I think that's the first thing. The second thing is try and get your preceptorship in some sort of pediatric and or NICU or or labor and delivery or postpartum if possible. It's not always possible. Mine was in the PICU. So that was sort of my, they didn't offer it in the NICU or I don't remember if it was even offered, but um, getting as close as you can to maternal infant health as you can, just because I, I don't know if, what do you think? Pediatrics or like L&D? Any postpartum? of those I yeah. think are going to help. As far as certifications, things that you can do early, um, BLS is is standard everywhere. You're going to have to have that. You can obtain your PALS um, certification as well. Some NICUs require it. Others do not. It just depends on if you're required to float to any other pediatric units. Um, NRP. NRP is the neonatal resuscitation program that we do, and that is required for NICUs nationwide. That is what we... um, That's the program that we get certified in to provide care to neonates right after after birth who were requiring some sort of resuscitation. Um, And then also stable. Stable is a newer one that I definitely think is a good one. That is, it's it's an acronym. I don't remember what it stands for. I never remember what it stands for. Have you taken it? Sugars. um, You know, I'm actually about to take it in July. Yeah. Um, But it's really interesting because that one I actually think is sometimes even more pertinent for a lot of us who work in the NICU because that tends to be lean more towards infants who are a little older, who are not in the neonatal immediate uh, NRP age bracket. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more, um, I would say maybe on the level three, level four babies who are a little bit older, who you're going through this systems. It's an acronym. NRP is very delivery room related. Yes. Working in the NICU, not always even, some are children's hospitals don't attend any deliveries. Yep. Yeah. If they don't have an L&D. Yeah. 
Um, the other things you can do are lactation courses. Um, if you wanted to sort of boost it up a little bit, I don't know if that would be my first go-to, but you could definitely can do that. Um, and then Sam and I've talked a lot about this as far as, you know, beforehand, as far as when you're trying to think ahead of a job, it's always, I think, really great to try and get a job in a hospital somewhere, whether that's as a secretary, as a CNA, whether that's a tech. Um, it doesn't really matter. I just think in my head, if you can get your foot in a hospital door working there and then eventually network your way to the NICU, golden. That's the golden ticket, Willy Wonka. 100%. Like, if the door's not open for you, you need to bang it down and get in there. Yes. Yeah. I think those are definitely some really, really good tips. What do you think about joining organizations like neonatal, yeah. National Association of Neonatal Nurses, mm -hmm. NAN? Yeah. So I think absolutely anything you can do on that resume to boost up and basically show that manager on that first page that you are very interested in this population. What have you done to really show that you want to be there? And the reason being is it's very competitive. I mean, it is competitive everywhere. And Sam and I have a full episode on Think Like an Athlete um, where we talk about this, about just really trying to hone in on being your best self, bringing your best self. And that does, you know, as far as resume boosting, that's a huge piece of it. Like, what have you done to really want to, to prove to come in here? And that's just how it is at this point, because it is so competitive. There's so many, I think for the last round that we hired, they hired what, like four out of, I don't know, 500 applicants or something like that. It was crazy. Um, so going that extra mile, that extra step is huge right now. Before we actually dive into getting a job in the NICU, I just want to talk about one of our fave sponsors. Oh my gosh, you guys, we are obsessed. Real Fat Foods. Okay, what did they send us? Okay, so you guys, we just got this amazing new cookie dough. Ugh. Cookie dough and then... Um, a lemon. It was like a lemon curd situation where it's just this delicious lemon dessert flavored. Uh, just That was your favorite. Right? Oh my God. It was so good. Okay, my favorite was the chocolate peanut butter cup. And then the peanut butter was good. There was solid, there was cookie dough, peanut butter, but then the chocolate peanut butter cup one, I probably might eat that whole bottle on the way home <laughs> if you guys are looking for clean ingredients keto gluten-free grain-free low-carb paleo delicious dessert snacks we are telling you this is like our go-to real fat foods and do we have a little discount code for them and we have a discount code if you guys use code selfie c-e-l-l-f-i-e -E, you are going to receive 10 percent off your purchase of their amazing products all right, let's get back into how to get your dream NICU job. Yes. Let's talk about the deets because here we go. All right. So as far as landing a job in the NICU, um, my biggest thing would be looking far and wide, doing your resume boosting for sure. And then one of the biggest things is really honing in on those interview skills. Sam and I have spent literally hours on an ebook just for you guys and I'm gonna push it here this is gonna be this is gonna be where we drop this because Sam and I are just so passionate about this so the ebook goes into detail about how the things that they could ask you I think it has a list of like 40 questions and then answers potential hints up to answers um, and then I really want you to listen back to that episode on thinking like an athlete and here's why we don't talk enough about this in healthcare in general, but specifically talking nursing about how to land your job and the skills, uh, the skill of interviewing and landing your job. And I think it's just a huge thing that we completely bypass. Um, but I'm a really firm believer in practice, 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 practice to your blue in the face when you're in the shower, when you're in the car, um, when you're in front of your mom, when it's, you know, sit in front of someone who's very awkward to answer these questions in front of. So you physically cannot answer the question incorrectly when you're in front of the interviewer. Um, I just, there's a lot of, I think that we just completely bypass that whole skill. And I think it's just important to really focus on that because the resume will get you there, right? And the experiences will get you there, but what's going to land you job, what's going to land that job truly is the interview. Do they like you? Are you a good fit for the unit? Ultimately, they know when you come in, you don't have experience, that's expected. Anyone coming into a NICU, unless it's specifically for a NICU 
to NICU job where someone's coming in and it's obviously a NICU job, but for a new grad or even a fellowship, if you are someone who has had experience and you're applying to a fellowship, they know you don't have experience there. They're going to be asking you very behavioral questions, maybe a couple here and there of how you might handle certain situations. But in general, I just think really honing in on those interview skills is, is huge. So what about people that work either in the adult world or other specialties and want their experienced nurses, but they want to become a NICU nurse? That's their ultimate goal. Yeah. So there's a couple different things. I know for people, for example, in med surge, I think if you're someone who is in med surge and you're looking to get in NICU, you can do a couple things. You can either look for a lower level NICU because typically a, a level four NICU, I don't know, they would always take you. You can look for a level two NICU where maybe they're a community-based hospital and you can just get your feet wet in there. Um, you can also try and sort of do stepping stones, which is a little annoying, but you can do it. So if you're in med surge, you can go apply for an L&D position or a postpartum position. This is, we brought on Alexis Nicole and that's what she did. She went from pediatric ED to postpartum with the intention of going into the NICU unit. So you can kind of do your stepping stones. I am not a big believer in you can't do it. I'm just point blank. I don't do not believe in that. I think you can put your mind, you can do anything you put your mind to. And I just think you just have to get creative with it. And it is a competitive market. But I'm telling you, if you put in the legwork, do the research, see where the hospitals are, who's hiring, what's going around, do some networking, ask some questions, maybe get a new job at another hospital. And you're like, oh my gosh, I want to work in that NICU. Just go get a job there and then network your way into that NICU. You know, Be relentless. Yes. Advice for people who have gotten their first NICU job before they get started? Oh, so many things. Um, I think honestly, the biggest thing is people know you're coming in with limited to no experience. And I really feel the best thing is just to come in with an open mind and soak up everything you can. Trying to tune in with where your preceptor is at and, you know, as far as learning, just trying to take advantage of everything you can. Even if your preceptor, for example, is sitting down, say, hey, like, can I go look at this? Can I go see what's going on over there? Um, if you have a short preceptorship, one of the biggest tips I talk about over and over and over is go, if, if you have a short one and, and you're still feeling a little iffy about certain things and you have some downtime on your shift, go help the person next to you. Oftentimes, some of the best things I ever learned were from nurses right next to me. One of my best friends, she is literally the trach nurse. She is literally like all things trach, you go to her. And I was super uncomfortable with trachs. And so I would go over and help her with her babies that she was giving baths to and doing all these things and like playing with them and doing you know, development and doing all of these amazing things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you could do this. You could do that. You know, so my biggest tip there is really just help your neighbor next to you. Just try and, you know, take, absorb everything you can. If there's a code going on and you're a new grad, just go, you know, peek over there and then ask someone like, hey, can I do something for you? You know, you don't necessarily have to jump in the full way, like just kind of like absorbing it, take it in, see what the flow is. Where are they getting their supplies? Where are they doing this? What what monitors are they using? How are they changing? You know, just these little tiny things that you learn the flow of your actual job and what you're doing and like just kind of absorbing it slowly. It's a lot to take in. I will tell you anyone who starts in the NICU it's it's overwhelming. How long do you think it took you to get comfortable in the NICU? Comfortable, comfortable over two years. Yeah. I say for me, it was about three. I mean, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm just okay. kidding. Minimum anyone. And yeah. you're never, you should never be comfortable. I, there, the there's second you that. think you know it all, you need to leave. There's that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think there's days where I'm on the unit and you're a attending a crash section going on you know it, it's very babies have this very crazy way of throwing you for a loop um their threshold is very narrow um but you learn I think once you start learning what's normal what's not normal getting your flow down understanding vital signs um you know just sort of getting your you know and you can learn things and then tailor it your way that's totally fine too you know there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, um, but I think just going in open-minded and respectful and humble is is going to win you over in any unit. I think that's just be, 
And even for things that you're not necessarily into, just act like you are interested. Fake it till you make it, you guys. Yes. And if it sticks and you like it, use it. If you don't, let it, leave it at the door. Yeah. Yeah. You 100%. um, Take it, take, learn from everyone. And if you like it, keep it. And if you don't, yeah, let it go. But pretend that you're interested because attitude is everything yeah that's maybe my biggest tip is is going in like very open-minded and some people like to write things down if you want to I do know there's a couple nurses I know who actually like to print out all of their things and they save it in a binder I did not do that um I did write things down in the beginning but I think after a certain amount of time you just get so used to what you're seeing what you're doing that it, it becomes second nature all right so what about supplies or things that would help like your must-haves for your NICU shift. Yeah. So, um, well, another shout out. We have actually some mm. brain sheets. Sure do. Uh, Sam and I, Sam actually was one of the creators of this brain sheet of the unit that we worked on and we actually added to it and changed it up a little bit. So we have a couple, uh, we actually have a couple different versions for you guys. As far as actual things, I do have a list over on my blog. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave my blog as a huge resource for you guys because I have literally spent <laughs> the amount of hours I've spent on this blog is crazy for all of my NICU nurses out there. If you're becoming mainly for people who want to become NICU nurses or trying to get into NICU nursing, I have a full blog just for full of NICU nurses, whether it's conferences, books, all of these amazing things. There's too many things for me to try and even put here, but that's all listed on tipsfromtory.com. Um, and that's listed under my exclusive blogs. Um, I was not someone who prepped too much coming into the NICU. I'm just someone that likes to learn on the job. And that's just how I learn. There are some nurses who will come on and print things and save things and want to prep with reading. I did not do that a whole lot, to be honest. I just like, I'm just very much learn on the job, Sally. That's how I, how I operate. Um, so if you are that way, go for it. Um, as far as the resources, definitely check out that blog for, for a resource for you guys. I feel like all NICUs are so different too, that you could prep yourself thinking, it's going to help. And maybe it would for one NICU, but for another NICU, it was kind of like, eh. well, and things written down in a book is so different than actually doing what you're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's so different. Just get in there. Yeah. I think just hands on is is my biggest, my biggest tip. Do for you have sure. any like physical products that you feel like as a NICU nurse are your like bread and butter? Uh, compression socks, water Girl. bottle. Um, you can get a stethoscope, but most NICUs nowadays have one at the, at the bedside for infection control purposes. But I do have one, um, for one of my hospitals because I potentially could float to postpartum. So I bring that with me, but you don't necessarily need one. And that's like, I I know that's the number one thing all nurses want to buy is, is the stethoscope, but honestly, you, you may not need it. A good pen is always good. We don't carry a lot on us as yeah. NICU nurses. How do you feel about the NICU nurse fanny pack? You know, I'm here for it. I wear, okay, well, this is kind of funny because the NICU, the, the nurse resource role that we have, we often, not everyone wears them, but I do. I wear the fanny pack because you have the phone, you have like all these things that you have to carry around with you. And I'm like, I don't want to carry this in the, we have to wear the scrubs, the hospital scrubs as the, the resource nurse. And then it drags your phone, you know, and just like pulls down and it's just really not good. So the fanny pack is great. I'm here for it. Stay strapped. Yeah. Keep that thing on you. Yes. Like, I think it's great. Go for it. Um, you really, though, in the NICU world, I will say this, you don't need a lot. You need your scrubs. You need your compression socks. Bring your water bottle, your lunch, blah, blah, blah. But And a good attitude. You don't need much. And a good attitude. There you go. What do you want to myth bust about the NICU? Uh, we don't just hold babies and you don't just take care of preemies. Boom. You, yeah. It's a lot. It's, a, it's complex. It's crazy. It really is critical care. Yes. People do not realize you are doing critical care. And also NICU nurses experience burnout too. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Nope. It is not. We we definitely get a touch of that as well. I mean, overall, I absolutely love being a NICU nurse. I think that I definitely have realized that that is my, what I absolutely love to do. I I. I don't think I can picture myself anywhere else right now. I just, I really do love the patient population. I love what I do. I love being able to support other people through it. It will always hold a special place in my heart. I mean, that was my 
beginning. That's yeah. my roots. That'll always be home. But I like to drop them off and then bail and leave yeah. them for you now. <laughs> I know I'm leaving them in good hands with Nurse Tori. Oh, I love you. Um, but yeah, so we'll link all of the extra resources for you guys in the show notes just so you have those as well. Um, thank you so much, you guys, for being here with us today. This was a fun one. I'm glad we yes, got to do this. This was a good refresh. I'm glad I got to do a NICU one with you just because it is my start. It's fun this to talk about. This is where we started. Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely much needed and a very, I'm in a very different place, I think, even than I was when I did my first one. So this is awesome. I love you guys. I hope that we answered all your questions. Thank you so much for being here with us. And where can they find us? Make sure you guys are following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all of our goodies linked in the bio. And there's a lot. I mean, we talked about a bunch in this episode. So go to our yeah. link tree, check out our merch, check out our report sheets, our nurse brain sheets, all the goodies. The interview guide. And make sure you rate and review, you guys. Download, subscribe, please. Thank, yes. Thank you so much for your support. We absolutely love we love reading your reviews. Yes, it warms my heart. It is so much fun. We thank screenshot you. them and set text them to each other because we get so excited <laughs> sometimes. It just means the world to us. So thank you so much, you guys. And if you do, make sure you put your Insta handle in the review and we will be sending over a swag bag for you. We're actually sending them out this week, right? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. are actually. Um, and where can they find us, Miss Samantha? That is at Hey Samantha with two A's. And at Nurse Tori. And we will see you guys see you next, next week. Time. Next week. Bye. Bye. Actually, just kidding. Goodie Bag Friday. Uh, These have been fun. So check out our bonus episodes on Friday. We'll see you guys Friday. Boom. Bye. Bye.